and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. We continue with the story of Jesus as told in Matthew's Gospel. We're reading today from chapter 4. Today's story is typically read at the beginning of that penitential season that we're approaching called Lent. Before Jesus ever teaches or heals, before he lays hands on anyone or blesses anyone, he goes to an abandoned place to be alone. There he encounters a shadowy figure who confronts him with extraordinary tests. Hear this story from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve God only. Then the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. That is the word of God for us, the people of God. Together we say, 
Thanks be to God. For us to wrap our minds around what is happening here in chapter 4, we have to go back and remember what happened in chapter 3. Samantha Hudson opened that text for us beautifully a few weeks back. In chapter 3, John the Baptist, severe, wild, repentance-demanding John, welcomes thousands of spiritual pilgrims to the water of the Jordan River where they will get dunked under the water and their lives will be changed. Jesus is one of those pilgrims who comes to John and John baptizes Jesus. Dripping wet, Jesus comes up out of the water and a pigeon flies down. Pigeon and dove, they're the same thing. A pigeon flies down. It's the embodiment of God's Holy Spirit. That spirit rests on Jesus and a voice, whose voice? A voice is heard saying, you are my beloved child. The spirit The power and the personal presence of God is on and it is with and it is in this very wet man. At the moment of his baptism, Jesus' identity is sealed. He is the human in whom the being of God can be found. But Jesus does not go straight from this baptism into his ministry of teaching and healing and feeding. There is another place to which he must first go. It is an empty place. A place where all of the comforts and the banalities of life, where all of the usual rhythms where the numbing sense of normal does not reach. The wilderness is a symbolic place. It is the place outside of life as it is. It is the place where you are alone and where you are vulnerable. Nothing around you in the wilderness marks who you are. The wilderness is also the place where God, who goes by the name I am, is likely to be found. Jesus goes there after his identity as the Son of God is imprinted upon him, but the ink is not yet dry. It is not yet clear what that identity will mean But what is clear is that the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that confirms that identity in him leads him into this lonely place so that that identity might be tested. Jesus fasts first. Fasting is an old, old practice of purification. You subject your body to hunger to see if there is a will inside of you that might be separated from and maybe be stronger than your instinct to satisfy your needs. But after 40 days, Jesus 
is at the very end of what a person can endure without eating. And then he shows up. Who is he? I didn't want to show you a picture because I didn't want to give you any preconceived notions about who this person is. In the passage, he goes by three different names. He is the Diabolos, the devil, the Perazzo in Greek, the tempter, and Satan. This character is old. His roots are in the ancient cultures of the Near East. There in the royal courts, a ruler's decisions could never be questioned, never be challenged. No one could refute a king and live to tell about it. But a king whose decisions never get questioned makes terrible decisions. So in some courts, there emerges a role for someone whose job it is to question the king. This role sometimes gets called the accuser, sometimes is called the adversary, and the name in Hebrew is Satan. The Greek translation diabolos means the slanderer. So think of this character not as a, a guy with pointy horns and a tail who is the head of the armies of darkness. That all comes much later added on. Think of this character as one who does his job when he shows you that there is another path. There's another choice that you might make if you would only think about it. The tempter appears to Jesus when he is at his weakest. And the tempter offers him three choices. Turn the stones into bread. Force God's hand into saving you. And treat me, the tempter, as the real ruler. Now in this back and forth between Jesus and the tempter, you might have noticed something about their conversation. They're not just talking to each other. They're quoting scripture to each other. By the way, the tempter knows the Bible as well as Jesus does. These two are engaged in a pretty fierce interpretive battle over scripture. The tempter is trying to get Jesus in this moment to redefine who God is and what it means for a person to be in a covenant relationship with God. The tempter is pushing Jesus. What exactly, Jesus, does God promise you? And is that really what you want? And what exactly do you promise God in return? And is that really what you want? This is a conversation about bread and about power, but it's not just about bread or power. It's about our entire covenant relationship with God. 
Jesus and the tempter are talking to each other in the present moment. They're having a present tense conversation, but they're also doing it by revisiting one of the most important moments in the relationship between us and our God. If you didn't pick it up from listening, and I don't blame you if you didn't, the tempter and Jesus are quoting to each other from Deuteronomy. These texts that they're quoting were written to remember the moment just after God delivered us from slavery in Egypt. When we were in our own wilderness wanderings, there in our hunger and in our thirst and our fear and our doubt, we almost, almost turned our backs on this whole project to be God's beloveds. But the tempter remembers the story. In the wilderness long ago, we were desperately hungry. And there we said, at least in Pharaoh's slave camps, we had food. And the tempter remembers that desperate hunger. And he says to Jesus, wouldn't it be better if you just took care of your own needs first. But Jesus remembered that God gave us manna to eat and that every day there was enough for everyone. And so he says to the tempter, we don't live by bread only. The tempter goes back again to the story. He remembers how thirsty we were in the wilderness, dying for a drink of water, and how bitterly we complained. We said to God, if you are God, where is our water? So the tempter takes Jesus to the top of the temple and says, don't you still wish for a God who won't let you suffer. And Jesus remembers too that God told Moses to strike a rock with his staff and from that rock the water flowed freely even in the most parched places in the middle of the desert And Jesus remembers that while that God may be inscrutable, God is true to God's promises. I will not, Jesus says to the tempter, test God. And then they both recall in that same desolate wilderness that Moses, Moses, our leader, went up the mountain to talk to God and he was gone so long, he took so long to come back that while he was gone, we melted down all of our gold and we made a calf and we danced around that calf and we begged another God to come and take care of us. The tempter remembers how quickly and how easily we went off looking for a God with a better offer. 
And so he says to Jesus on the top of that mountain, look, there's another God who can get you exactly what you want. But Jesus remembers all that God has done for us and all that God has been for us. He remembers that God is merciful and good and just and that God's love never fails. And so he looks at the tempter and he says, God is enough. These are Jesus' tests, but they are not only Jesus' tests. I don't know how you feel the presence of temptation in your own life. I assume that all of us are subject to them. The traditional temptations are food, technology, that's a new one, I guess sex, money. But this story says something about temptation that is worth us remembering. Temptations are not really about our biology. They're not just about having the willpower to say no to sugar or to the rush of a social media feed. Temptations are questions about identity, your identity, the story of you that announces who you are both to yourself and to the world, your identity, that fluid yet still stable sense of the self in the world that moves as you move through time and space and holds together as a coherent thing. When you are tempted, you are asked to be something or someone other than who you are. Which, of course, begs the question, who are you? Who is the you that is distinct from your urges and your instincts? Who is the you that can find its quiet center when the world draws you this way and that? Is your identity defined by your family? Is your identity your physical features, your unique imprint, your skin, your hair, your gender? Is your identity your job, your class, your community? Who are you when you wander out into your own wilderness, to the place where you are alone, and there are no longer any markers around you to signify who you are and what your life is for. Who are you then? 
only you can answer for you. For most of us, finding out who we are is a lifelong journey, one with lots of missteps and wrong turns. But I hope also a journey full of grace and full of revelation. Perhaps you, like Jesus, have deep memories about where you come from, about your belonging to a people, a people with a history and a purpose. And maybe you, like Jesus, can even recall a specific moment in your life when you knew without a shadow of a doubt exactly who you are and what the purpose and shape of your life should be. And maybe you're still in process. Maybe you're still in formation, this identity of yours. Maybe you're in the wilderness right now. Well, let me offer one thing that I know about you. You are beloved. You are created by God, each of you. You are nurtured every day by God's gracious provision. You are made by love and for love. Before Jesus knew anything about what his life would entail, he knows he is God's beloved child. So are you. Amen.